Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insights to help you to lead, manage, and coach in football, sports, and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA, and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league, and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach Rob Riles here to share some more uh, information on our chosen topics. Now today I've chosen to concentrate more on the coaching aspect of football because I wanted to share with you some information from a couple of articles that I read a good while ago, but had an impact on me and are still relevant today. So it's quite focused today on on coaching and it's quite focused on on football, but there will be principles in this that may well apply to other sports. So the first article I want to talk about, and just to give credit to the people who wrote it, is from the from a, an old copy of Insight, the Football Association's coaching journal. And it was written by Andy Grant. And it was entitled, 10 Key Characteristics of Successful Team Performance. And the article researched what the most effective things or passages or types of performance or activities that successful teams compared to unsuccessful teams perform. Now, it might seem fairly obvious that a successful team will, I suppose you could simply boil it down into the successful team scores more goals and concedes less. That's very, very simplistic. And if it was that simple to analyse and work out, then I don't think there'd be any any more need for research and development and, and everything would be really simple. But when we take a, we drill down, we find out that there's a lot more detail involved in, okay, so how do you actually score more goals and how do you actually concede less? So let's have a look into the 10 key characteristics of successful team performance. And although some of these may seem obvious, in terms of creating success in sport or in life, we are taught and and I strongly believe this that we're looking for those little incremental improvements on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis that over 12 months may result in 5 or 10% improvement in performance which doesn't seem very much when you just look at the figures but it's massive in terms of growing going forward if you increase your your success between 5 and 10% a year and it gets compounded then you will be highly, highly successful in a short period of time. It's that frustration and, and 21st century drive, I think, that, that thinks, oh, you know, we've got to get twice as good as we are in the next 12 months. Or we've got to go from a team that's just about holding our head above water to a team that's consolidated and really moving forward on all levels. You know, that kind of change doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So 10 key characteristics of successful team performance that you may be able to drag three or four things out of this. 
that you can use. Number one, successful teams have more possession. So when you look at the, well, a lot of this comes from analysis, so from team analysis and stats that come from analysis. So when you look at your team's statistics, if if you just look at the possession statistics, the team that's had more possession is much more likely to have won the game. Why is this? Well, it allows the, the possession allows you to structure the game. So it allows you to dictate. So it allows you to sit back. It allows you to make the other team run. It allows you to move the point of attack. So you can choose where you aim to exploit if you have the ball. If you don't have the ball, then your options are much more limited. If you've got the ball, the chances of you conceding a goal are very low. So it it massively, to a degree that's almost 100%, it won't be quite 100%, but it, it massively reduces the chances of you conceding a goal if you have possession of the ball. You certainly avoid wasting energy, so your team aren't closing, pressing, running, adapting in order to react and respond to the opposition. It gives confidence. If your team is in possession, your team will feel better. They will be much more confident and it gives them that air of superiority, if you like, where they can actually dictate and have the power in their hands or at their feet. So having more possession. Number two, successful teams have more attempts at goal. There is a definite correlation between the number of goals scored by a team and the number of attempts made. I think we all recognise that sometimes you see the stats at the end of a game and, and there might be 16 attempts on goal and one scored and the other team have had four attempts on goal and scored two. This happens. I think that's why we love the game. But overall, if you take the bigger picture, the more attempts you have on goal, the, the more goals you're going to score. And that's a pretty, a pretty standard accepted statistic in the, in the bigger picture. So taken from that is how we, can, how we can actually create those opportunities with the players we've got available. Number three, successful teams have more attacking moves that enter the critical attacking areas. I think in the modern game, not widely so, <laughs> seemingly, but and surprisingly to me, but I think it's it's quite accepted now that that central attacking play is much more fruitful than wide play in terms of creating goal. Now, what it's important not to do is to go away and think, oh, you know, wide play is a waste of time. Wide play isn't a waste of time because wide play can produce goals and wide play is often a way to create successful central play. So it's not as simple as that, but central attacking play statistically is much more successful at producing goals. So attacks that utilize the middle third of the pitch are statistically more likely to result in a threat on goal, an attack on goal, a shot on goal than play down the flank. So it's wise to look at using that area of the pitch. Moving on from that, successful teams learn to use that area of the pitch more effectively. It's it's an obvious one, isn't it? But if you're able to coach, if you're able to practice and develop that central attacking threat, 
then you are using statistics on your side. Successful teams have the ability to create scoring opportunities from possession and direct play. So this is indicating, if you like, or this, this is, is pointing towards the fact that having possession and just keeping the ball isn't necessarily going to win you a game. Although we've alluded to the fact that if you have more possession, you're likely to win the game. You've got to have penetration. You've got to have purposeful possession. So actually you create a result at the end of it. And having lots and lots of possession and lots and lots of passes, you know, you may remember, you know, you may look back and think, well, I've seen Barcelona as, as probably the purest example of possession football recently keeping the ball and, and having, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 passes. Um, but those are, the, those are the, the demonstrations of wonderful possession play. Um, you will often see that incisive three-pass move where it goes from the full-back to the, to the centre-forward, back to the central midfielder who plays, a, plays it into the other striker for a third-man run and he scores. It's an incisive play, bang, 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 and it's in the back of the net after... Two and a half seconds. Um, I think that's what we're alluding to here. So it's that ability to create those scoring opportunities quickly from direct play. Next one. Successful teams have the ability to create goals and attempts at goals from regained possession in their defensive half. This is definitely relating back to what I've just talked about there. Okay, it's a counter-attack. And it's having that ability to counter-attack. I think that sometimes we are guilty of saying, well, this team is a counter-attacking team, this team isn't a counter-attacking team. I think the most successful teams are able to adapt and can counter-attack if they need to counter-attack and utilise the counter-attack and do it quickly and incisively and get the play, get the play up, to the, up to the attacking third really quickly with quality, get the ball under control and with quick direct play, get a threat on goal. It doesn't have to be a team who sits back and soaks up all the pressure for, for 20 minutes and then has one counter-attack. Um, I remember a, an England coach, when we were practising set plays, used to challenge his players. And he used to challenge his players by saying to them, Look, I, I want you to see if you can score a goal from, from a corner against. So you are defending a corner and he would set them a target of actually going to score a goal themselves by, by counter-attacking. And he would set up his players as such. So he'd leave one player up front, the number nine, if you like, to keep the opposition defenders busy. And he'd have a player, a great ball player, the best ball player, if you like. Um, somebody who was possibly a little bit lightweight, wasn't, wasn't the best defender, who'd be on the edge of the box or somewhere in the, on, the, on the border of the, of the defensive in the middle third. So that they could pick the ball up, and we could get the ball to them quickly from a from defensive play, if you like, and get the ball quickly to the centre forward, and then get some support up there. Successful teams. Next one. Successful teams regain possession of the ball in the attacking areas more frequently. Again, this relates to some of the the teams who are absolutely amazing out of possession, who try and win the ball as high up the pitch as possible. It's a great philosophy. It doesn't give your opposition time to settle on the ball it doesn't give the opposition chance to to play the ball out and get comfortable and they end up probably playing long and if you've got the ability to defend well if you've got the ability to regain that possession if the opposition do play long 
it's a great strategy. So not only is it successful for you because you win possession high up the pitch, if you don't win possession high up the pitch because the opposition play long, then you win the possession in your defensive third. Um, so it's a win-win situation. Next one, successful teams adopt patterns of play that involve consecutive running, dribbling and passing the ball in a forward direction. So this relates back to not just possession, but purposeful possession. So having that ability, that first thought, I've got controlled possession, can I play forward? Maybe it's not even controlled possession. Maybe it's that defender who can head the ball but knows where he's heading it. It's got great direction, great skill in controlling where he's heading the ball. Or a player who chests the ball down and, and volleys it to a teammate straight to the strike, centre forward, straight to the number nine, into the channel so he can run onto it with quality to his, to his feet or into the, into the deep-lying central midfield player who can switch play so that it's that forward play that penetrates and breaks lines and takes three or four players of the opposition out of the game and you're on the attack and they haven't got that opportunity to get mass numbers behind the ball because of that purposeful forward play. And I think often when we're coaching, especially young players, we forget when we're coaching those techniques when we're coaching, keeping possession and supporting, we often, or possibly it's because we don't have the time, we, we lose that, you know, right, your first thought should be to play forward because we're often happy with our players when they keep possession and they play sideways or backwards. And that's great, nothing wrong in that. But I think sometimes we need to look at moving on and getting them to think, can I play forward? Okay, next one. Successful teams are effective at using crosses to score goals and create scoring opportunities. So this is saying that, look, although we're concentrating and we're saying the concentration of play in theory should be down the centre because that's where goals are created, that's where goal threat comes from, wide play should not be considered to be taboo. Um, I think it's saying that it shouldn't be a priority, um, but it certainly shouldn't be forgotten because that's where successful play can come from. And the last one in this article, successful teams make effective use of set plays. This is massive. This is massive. Who can forget Stoke's success from throw-ins with, with Rory Delap's throw-in um, from set plays from anywhere in the, in the um, almost in the opposition half? Um, the number of set plays that, that have, have been scored it's enormous, the number of goals that come from set plays. And we've talked about it before on a previous podcast. You know, What's the best way of defending a set play? Don't give it away in the first place. And if you can utilise time on the coaching ground, time on the grass, and time with your players to create really innovative, successful, simple set plays, you, you can take advantage of, of these situations massively. And um, you know, you only need one. To, to score a goal and you know what happens with the momentum it changes and it can change the whole whole game just from a set play so by ignoring set plays and by not utilizing time to to get better at them I think coaches are missing a massive opportunity so 10 10 key characteristics of successful team performance 
some of them seem really obvious, but they give us a flavor of what it is actually we need to do. You know, there's, the fundamentals of success are not massive. You know, I, I know we talk about there's lots to do, but actually when you boil it down, it depends on how you look at it, but the, the, the actual number of things we need to get good at are quite, quite few. There might be a lot of detail in there, but uh, this article gives us these key characteristics. So if we concentrate on being good in possession, if we concentrate on being purposeful in our possession, if we concentrate on attacking centrally where possible, if we concentrate on utilising set plays when we get the opportunity, and we just take, take those four things out of it, I think we've got four things that would make a massive difference to our to our play. But it's a great little article. Um, Ten key characteristics of a su successful team performance. And what I want to do now is just related to that is another, just touch on just to end this podcast and give us a little bit more value in it, is to talk about Zone 14. Um, don't hear it, it talked about all the time. It's called different terminology in our sport changes all the time. And people talk about all kinds of things, you know. I'm recently hearing about um, soft spots. And that's probably been around a long time. Some of you guys listening to this will will think, oh, I've been, that's been around for years. Well, I think terminology goes around around the world and comes back again. But soft spots and corridors of uncertainty and all the rest of it. Well, I think Zone 14 is a, is a pretty established area in football. And if you don't, if you're, you know, not quite unsure of what, Zone 14 is if you have a look at it and um, on, on on Google it uh, or get get in, get into your 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 association's education department and ask them if they got any information on Zone 14. But if you divide the the football pitch standard football pitch into uh, 18 zones, Zone 14 is in the middle of the pitch, essentially located outside the penalty area, and it's considered to be kind of the golden square. It's considered this because it's the area that if you dominate and if you use successfully, you are likely to score more goals by, by concentrating on zone 14. But the interesting thing is you need to do it in the right way according to the statistics. So it's not just a question of getting the, the ball into zone 14 and it magically gets put into the net. But it is a key area and it, it's something certainly to know about. So this again was an article... Um, if I can just find out where it came from so I can give you a little bit of um, uh, really sorry I can't tell you where it came from but um, okay so zone 14 um, so why is it so important well from the analysis and from looking at successful and unsuccessful teams as we've alluded to before successful teams attack through the centre of the field more effectively than less successful teams Um and in zone 14, the, the four key characteristics of successful play from this study were, number one, there were more passes to all the zones to the side and ahead of zone 14. So if you get the ball into zone 14, the most successful movement is forward into the penalty area. So if you can play the ball forward from zone 14 into the penalty area, that is the number one key, key action. I'm sure, get, you know, and that will include having a shot on goal. If not, play it to the side. If you play it back, then your chances of scoring are reduced according to the statistics. Next one. 
make more passes in zone 14 compared to unsuccessful teams. So the players, the teams who were more successful actually had more possession and more passes in zone 14 than unsuccessful teams. However, having excessive amounts of possession results in less goal threat. So it relates to speed, it relates to directness, and it relates to being efficient and having the least number of touches and passes to get the ball forward and then create goal threat. Um, moving on from that, how do we use Zone 14 more effectively? According to the study, it's you are four times more likely to score by playing forward from Zone 14 into the penalty area rather than playing laterally to the sides. Um, the statistics say that the possession time in zone 14 on average is something like 2.7 seconds. And they go on to say that if you keep the ball and have possession in excess of eight seconds, it will not or is highly unlikely to produce an attempt on goal. So it all points towards attacking quickly and being really ruthless and looking for those little opportunities to get the ball forward as far as possible. What does this mean? It probably means you need your most skillful, successful, on-the-ball, possession-based players to operate in and around zone 14 because they're the ones who are going to find the little holes, the little pockets, the little, the little movements that will get you those, those goal threat opportunities. So in conclusion, um, I'm just reading through the last paragraph, but basically it just reiterates what we've just said. So from this article, in conclusion, the most effective way to use zone 14 is to make a forward pass into the penalty area and it should be quick. So what this article tells us is, is use zone 14, use your best players in zone 14, the best players in possession, use it quickly and look to play forward. So if you know about utilizing zone 14, if you use that area with your best in possession players, if you look to have a limited time on the ball there, definitely less than eight seconds, the quicker the better, and look to play forward, you will increase your opportunity for creating goal threat. So great stuff. Three or four points from that one, three or four points from the article before, um, the 10 key successful characteristics of team performance so just thought i'd share those with you um hope you enjoyed them hope you got something out of them even if you get just get one or two things um don't forget if you've got any comments as i said before this is not me spouting off things that i've made up this is a sharing platform and opportunity um we're going to get some uh, some great coaches on board to to interview in the future coming up shortly if you go to uh, leader manager coach website and leave any any thoughts, comments that you've got. You can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. This is a journey, as I said, and it's about sharing. It's not just about me, it's about you. Um, love to know where you're at and the kind of things you're interested in and what your thoughts are so that we can share that with um, the rest of the community. Listen, as always, great to have you along. Thanks for listening. Your time is precious. I do appreciate you spending the time. This is Rob Riles, and I'll catch you again. 